go ahead and be seated. We'll stand up again in a little bit when I read scripture, but uh, take a seat for just a few moments while I get us to where we need to be this morning. If you have a Bible with you, you can open up to the book of Ecclesiastes. It'll be our third week in this series that we're calling Life Under the Sun. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 is where we're going to start today. And so encourage you to turn there. Book of Psalms is about in the middle of the Bible. Then we've got the book of Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes is right after that. So our series is called Life Under the Sun. It's a phrase that gets repeated many times in the book of Ecclesiastes, this phrase, under the sun. Today's message is called, If It Makes Me Happy. We're going to be looking at the beginning of Ecclesiastes chapter 2. But before we jump right into that, just a review for those of you who have been here and maybe just get you up to speed for those of you who have not been here. We started out the first week looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 1, the first 11 verses, where the conclusion of, kind of the introduction, I guess, but it was the conclusion also of the the preacher, that's who the author of the book of Ecclesiastes identifies himself as, as the preacher or the teacher. And he says basically everything is meaningless under the sun. We talked about the fact that he's looking at life primarily with a visor up, blocking out an eternal perspective, blocking out God and saying, this life here under the sun, when all I see is this, it seems meaningless. Meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. And then we started to see him start to look for solutions because nobody likes to live a meaningless life. And so last week we finished up Ecclesiastes chapter 1 where he thought, well maybe the answer is if I just knew some more stuff, if I just got more educated and grew in knowledge and wisdom, then maybe perhaps it would make a lot more sense and life would not be quite so meaningless. We came to find out, though, that that also seemed meaningless to him. He said, with much knowledge comes much grief. We, we then ended last week because he's kind of always ending with that same kind of idea like, well, this didn't work. And so last week we took a little bit of time to, to walk away from that and say, so what does work? And we found from the rest of Scripture that spending our lives growing in the knowledge of the one by whom, through whom, and for whom all things were made, that is the kind of life that is full of meaning and full of purpose. And so it is good for us to spend our lives growing in the knowledge of the one, and growing in lots of other knowledge of everything that he's created as well, but growing in that knowledge with a God-centered kind of lens, seeing everything in the world through a God-centered lens. So that's where we've been the last couple weeks. Today... He's going to try something else. We're going to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 2, where it's a different kind of test he's going to do this time. Today, the test is going to be this. He's saying, well, maybe life would feel much more full and satisfying if I just did stuff that made me happy. If I just did stuff that made me happy, then maybe life would make a lot more sense. Maybe that's the answer. So the preacher is going to write about how he tested out all sorts of pleasure, and in our day, it seems like, you'll notice this as we go through this, that the kind of attitude that he had is the kind of attitude, like even though he tested this out and it didn't work, we're still testing out the exact same things. We're running the same experiments over and over, thinking that we're going to get different results, because our attitude, very much in our culture, 
is this kind of stuff. Do more of what makes you happy. Whatever you decide to do, make sure it makes you happy. These are the kind of things that you can, you know, see everywhere you go. This kind of attitude, whether it's these actual images or this kind of attitude that just says, listen, life is hard. You just need to do whatever's going to make you happy, whatever that might be. Now, we are going to spend some time looking at the, uh, the experiment or the test that the preacher runs these things through, and I think you're going to find that, once again, God's Word is incredibly relevant to the world that we live in today. So I'm going to uh, pray, and then we're going to read Scripture together. Like I said, we're going to stand again. So if you're able to, as we read God's Word, we stand together. So if you're able to, would you please do that? I'm going to begin by praying, and then we'll go ahead and read Scripture Father, we've already prayed a few times in this service, and I've already prayed and asked that you would come and that you would do a work in our hearts where there needs to be conviction, where there has been us spending our week striving after all sorts of things and forgetting to delight in the Lord with all of our mind, heart, and soul, forgetting to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, forgetting to love others as ourselves. There's so many ways in which we fall short each week, and I pray that these next few moments as we read your word, that you would help us to see the truth. You would help us to see the futility of chasing after things that just make ourselves happy temporarily, and help us to be the kind of people that would spend our lives seeking after things that will make us happy eternally. I can't make that happen by preaching, but your spirit can make that happen by doing a work in our hearts. So I pray that you would come and do that now for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read God's word from Ecclesiastes chapter 2. God's word says this, beginning in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched my heart with how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during their few days of life. I made great works. I built houses, planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem, and also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil that I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity, and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. You can be seated. You see in your bulletin, there is an outline uh, that might be helpful for you to follow along. There's an application guide on the back that I hope is helpful for you 
either you alone or you and your family throughout the week. There's questions on there to ask yourself, to ask your spouse or a friend, and questions to ask your kids if you have kids living with you. I suppose even if they weren't living with you, you could ask them too. But here's what we're going to do today. We're going to start out by looking at verse 1. Then we're going to look at the body of this section, verses 2 to 8, which is a pleasure list. And then we're going to look at the conclusion in verses 9 to 11. But I don't want to end with that conclusion. I want to go to a different chapter in Scripture and look at verses 9 through 11 there and look at the conclusion that the author comes up with that gives us a lot more hope than the author of Ecclesiastes gives here in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. So that's the plan for today. So let's go ahead. Look at the first point, introducing the pleasure test. Verse 2 or verse 1, I mean, says it this way, of chapter 2. The preacher says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Right? So this is a test. This is an experiment. And he's saying, what I'm going to test myself with this time is not growing in lots of knowledge. I'm going to test myself with pleasure. I'm going to do stuff that makes me happy. In fact, he's very self-centered about it. He says, enjoy yourself. Know, know this before we get going this morning. Seeking pleasure, seeking to be happy is not bad. It's a good thing to seek to be happy. It's a good thing to seek after pleasure. But it all depends on what kind of pleasure that we're seeking and how what we're expecting it to give to us. Right? And so we're going to notice in this passage, I just quickly went through in the little application God I have for parents to do with kids. You can walk through and count this. It might be different because I just kind of went through really quickly. I counted in this short passage, my, myself, and I are repeated 37 times in this short passage. Right? That, that's my quick count of it. It might be more or, or less, but I just quick went through and counted that. The way that the author is going to seek after pleasure is very self-centered. He's going to do whatever he needs to do to indulge himself. He's going to try and find happiness and meaning in life in that way. Enjoy yourself, he says to himself. And then he gives us the conclusion. In the introduction, he already gives us the conclusion. So you're like, well, why are we going to spend the rest of the time looking over it? Because you know what? The rest of us spend the rest of our lives looking through the same stuff. And so here's the conclusion. We can tell you right up front. All these things that I sought pleasure in, he says, were vanity. They were vain. They were empty. They were meaningless. Okay. Well, let's see what they were, all right? That's what we're going to do now. We're going to take a look. He already tells us this is where it's at. It's vanity, but he's going to walk us through what he tested out. He's going to give us this pleasure list. And it's good for us because we seek after many of the same things. So let's look at verse 2. Verse 2 says this, I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? Now, Mad, in this case, it means like out of place. It seems out of place. We'll get to that here in just a second. But I like laughing. We do. I came from a family where we do a lot of laughing, like the kind of laughing where it gets late at night and you're not even sure what you're laughing about anymore. There's tears coming down your face. You feel like you just got an ab workout kind of laughing. Like that kind of laughing. Uh, we do that often in my family. I love, even when we get together again with my family, we go home, and then the family that I have now, we do lots of laughing. We do lots of laughing with our kids, and we do lots of laughing after the kids go to bed about some things that happen during the day. Laughter is so good. But laughter, like many other 
gifts can sometimes get misused. And, and remember that the preacher is kind of looking at all of life, and he's saying, yeah, laughter is fun for a little bit, but it seems out of place. It seems mad. Because remember, his view of the world, as he's looking mainly at life just here under the sun, he's looking at it, he's seeing everything that happens under the sun. He's like, laughter just doesn't seem to fit. Maybe you've been in a group before where you're the person like that, where everybody's just laughing about something, but you're looking at the circumstances of life right now, and it's hard for you to laugh along. It might even be hard for you to crack a smile. That's what he's saying. Laughter's just mad sometimes. Pleasure, what's the use of it here in this life under the sun? And we know that laughter can be good, but we also know that laughter can be misused. A lot of times, if we're honest, don't we laugh at the expense of other people? Right? That, that, that we la- And this is not like kids. I know this happens in school, doesn't it, kids? Where somebody says something a little bit kind of goofy, or they maybe look a little bit goofy, and it's easy to just laugh at them. Right? And, and other people are laughing, and so you kind of want to laugh too, but it's not just kids. We have more sophisticated ways of doing it as adults, but we laugh sometimes at the expense of other people. Sometimes we laugh at coarse joking, right? Many of, it's hard for me to even watch any movie that's like a comedy movie, because most of the comedy that shows up in comedy movies is really pretty gross. Most of the sitcoms are are based around concepts that are really pretty um, not honoring to God, right? So, 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 so laughing can be misused. There's things that are maybe even legitimately funny, but are just out of place. And laughter in the end, we've got people that make us laugh a lot. I'm grateful for people that make us laugh. There's some people that are really skilled at doing that. But a lot of times, even laughter, people that, that can create a lot of laughter in other people, those same people might have some pretty deep, dark stuff going on deep down in their hearts. Right? And so laughter does not give great meaning and eternal pleasure and joy and purpose to life. And so he says, laughter it is mad and of pleasure, what use is it? Now he's going to keep going on. The list is long. Not too long. He doesn't cover everything, but he tried out a number of things. Verse 3 says this. It says, I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom. How to lay hold on folly till I might use what was good for, till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. It's like, hey, you don't live long. And so I'm going to, I'm going to try out some stuff. And so alcohol is one thing that he mentions. I want to cheer my body with wine, right? I'm going to, looking at life under the sun. And sometimes it doesn't make sense. And sometimes people use alcohol as a way to, like, numb themselves to the reality of what's going on around them. Sometimes they just want a heightened sense of enjoyment, and alcohol can provide that, right? And so he's saying, so I thought I'd try that out. How could I cheer my body in this meaningless life under the sun? How could I cheer my body with wine? Maybe he was just tasting it because he says something about my heart still guiding me with wisdom. We're not sure exactly how that fits into all that, but, but maybe he's just tasting it. Maybe he's not overusing it. Maybe he's not abusing it. He's just tasting it. Fine, whatever. And he says, but he also tried to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. 
Like many of the things listed here in this list, there's some good gifts from God, right? That, that alcohol in and of itself is not an evil thing. But Solomon would write in Proverbs chapter 23, knowing of the strife and pain that it can cause many, he says this, listen to what he says. This is uh, Proverbs 23, verses 29 through 33. Okay, Here's what he says about alcohol there. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause and redness of eyes? Well, those who tarry long over wine, those who go to try mixed wine, do not look at wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. He's tried it out and he's been there before. He's saying, you know, that doesn't work. That didn't make that that, that didn't numb me to all of the realities of life, and that didn't make life all that much more enjoyable. It only did it temporarily, and so it looked really good. The temporary pleasure afforded by alcohol does not make life any less meaningless. Now, and you've probably heard me mention, uh, maybe not, um, my personal conviction about alcohol. We don't have like a stand as a church. It's pretty clear in Scripture. Uh, that, that we ought not to get drunk, right? So that, that we ought to let the Holy Spirit, as Christians, we let the Holy Spirit control our lives, not some substance, right? So, so that's pretty clear in Scripture. Some people choose to use the freedom that we have in Christ to partake of alcohol in, in, in short, like measured amounts of it, right? Um, personally, I've seen the kind of destructive effects that it has on a number of people and the way that many people in our culture idolize it. So I've made the, the personal choice not to use alcohol in any way. And so, so I don't know where you're at on that. You need to work that out. Maybe talk to some brothers and sisters in Christ and spend some time in prayer about that. Think about what it is that you're seeking after when you're using alcohol. But it is clear from this passage and others that alcohol was never intended to bring eternal pleasure and meaning to life. It can't do that. This guy tested it out, and he said it doesn't work, right? Neither can just stupid living, right? So, like, the idea of just, like, hey, you only live once, so just be stupid for a while. He's saying laying hold of folly, that doesn't make a lot of sense either, right? Let's look at the next verse. Next verse, building stuff. Okay, verse 4 says this. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. If he wanted to build it, he could build it. And so he built it. Big stuff. We like big stuff. Big stuff that was more big than any other big stuff in that day. Right? So I made great works. I built for myself houses. There's a whole TV network that's devoted to get us to think that this is going to make us happy. It's called HGTV, right? Like, like that, sh- that, that station exists to, to help you to think that if you would just build something new, if you would find something new, go, ha- go hunt for a new house, or watch other people, like, it's going to cause you to think, yes, look at them. And then they come back with the camera like two months later, and they're super content because they, now they've made the house their own, right? And, and, all, like, and so, like, we have these ideas like, yes, if I just build or remodel or do something different, then... I'm going to have some happiness in life. That's going to bring, but he says, I, I built great houses. I made great works, planted vineyards. But you know what? In the end, that didn't really pan out either. 
and then give me meaning and purpose and eternal pleasure. Next one, art. He says this in verses 5 to 6. He says, I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees and I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. He had all sorts of resources, so his art was big. He didn't paint on a canvas. He, he planted gardens and made parks. Beautiful things. I'm grateful for people that are skilled to make beautiful things, whether it's in landscaping or on a canvas or whatever kind of art form, pottery, whatever. I'm, I'm not very skilled in that area, but I'm grateful for people. that I love good art, but in the end, art and creating beautiful things, which we, we ought to do. If you have that gift, use that. That's part of what it looks like to be made in the image of God. We worship a God who creates beautiful things. And part of being made is in his image is we too, many of us who are gifted in that way, can create beautiful things. And so if you've got that gift, use it. But know that creating beautiful things will not bring you eternal pleasure and meaning in life. Keep going through the list. He just keeps going. Next one, verses 7 and 8. Great possessions. He says this, I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. We don't own all those same things, but we who live in the United States of America in this century would have to say that we're rich compared to most people in history and most people in the world. We are rich and we have great possessions. I really like some of my possessions. I think our house is great. I love sleeping in my comfy bed, and our kitchen is full of food, and I have nice clothes, some of which are bought by my mother-in-law who's here today, so thank you, Terry. She does a great job at that, right? I think this one was, was it? Yeah, yep, yep, all right. But we have nice stuff, right? No shortage of it. Closets full of it, pantries full of it, refrigerators full of it, houses that are full of it. We have great possessions, but great possessions will not bring eternal pleasure and meaning to life. There's more. He just keeps going on. There's, there's just a couple more that we're going to hit. Music. Yeah, he says to himself, I got singers, both men and women. We don't have to do as much work as he did to get music. We can get good music by putting on some headphones, going to a concert, right? Good music by showing up here on Sunday morning. Music is readily accessible to us wasn't so readily accessible to him. If he wanted it, he had to get for himself, rent or buy, singers and musicians. And he did that. But music, as good as it is, a very good gift from God, is not going... And music is great. Like, you have times and seasons of life that you associate with certain songs. And I love music. But it alone is not going to bring eternal pleasure and meaning in life. Next one. He says that he got many concubines, the delight of the sons of men. It's a pleasure that would show up on measure, many pleasure lists as the, the pleasure of sex. It's something that God has created to be used within God-ordained boundaries of marriage between a man and a woman when it's used in a different way, whether that be through premarital, extramarital sex, or pornography, or whatever. Those are ways in which we are taking a good gift from God and using it in ways that it was not intended to be used. And in the end, whether it's used in the proper context or not, sex in and of itself cannot bring us eternal pleasure 
or meaning in life. What are some conclusions that we can draw from all of this? That's, that's his list. I'm sure he tested out more things, but that's what he lists. Tested out a lot of stuff. Stuff that still nearly 3,000 years later, we continue to test out, thinking that those things are going to be what brings us eternal pleasure. Conclusions are this, verse 9, he says, So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Like, yeah, so I did pretty good, didn't I? I can look back at this point in my life and say, look at that. And I, was, I became great, better than anybody else. I had more stuff than anybody else. I had more fun than anybody else. And I was still really wise. Verse 10, and listen to this. This is like a young pop star talking, right? And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. He's just looking at it saying, had it all. If I wanted it, I got it. If I saw it and wanted it, it was mine. I didn't keep anything that my eyes desired from my eyes. I, I didn't keep anything from my I just got it. If I wanted it, it was mine. What's his conclusion? Verse 11. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it. It was hard work to get all that stuff. And behold, all was vanity. Just imagine this guy stepping back, looking at the palace that he had built for himself. Saying, that was a lot of work, and it feels really empty right now. Look at all these different things that I accomplished in my life. Look at all these different times in which I had pleasure. And it all feels really vain and empty right now. In fact, it feels like striving after the wind. Another favorite phrase of his in the book of Ecclesiastes like chasing after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. It's like, what do I have to show for all of it? Nothing. Sad. It's sad where this passage ends. We're going to finish up chapter 2 next week. There's maybe a little bit of a happier ending at the end of chapter 2. But I don't want to end right there. Like I said, I want us to draw some conclusions from a different book in the Bible, also looking at verses 9 through 11. But I want you to turn, if you do have your Bible with you, over to the book of Psalms. Just two books before the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to just look at mainly, well, three verses, but mainly the last verse. The clear teaching from Ecclesiastes 2 was this. Testing out all sorts of earthly pleasures will not make life under the sun any less meaningless. So what's the answer? Is the answer, like, well, don't seek pleasure because that's not going to make you happy. So does that mean that as Christians, we just need to be like these stoic killjoys who never laugh and smile? And I always look at the world with kind of this frown on our face like, oh, it's all going to pot. Right? Is, is, that, is that who we're supposed to be as Christians? Or do we actually seek out happiness and pleasure? Let's go ahead and look at verses 9 through 11. In Psalm 16, the psalmist, David, writes this, Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you, he's saying this to God, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or the grave. You will not let your Holy One see corruption. 
Listen to verse 11. Listen to this. I'll put it on the screen too. You make known to me the path of life. And in your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Did you hear verse 11? Memorize that. Oh, it's good. Let, let me read it again. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We spend our lives trying to figure out what's going to make us happy. And here in Psalm 16, verse 11, we're told, you want to know where to find happiness? You want to know where to find fullness of joy? Well, it's in the presence of the Lord. You want to know where we experience eternal pleasure? Not just temporary fleeting pleasure, but eternal pleasure that will last forever. You want to know where to experience that? It's at the right hand of God. Eternal pleasure and fullness of joy are found in Him. But then the question is this, how do we get there? Okay, right? So, so, so you're telling me that all these other things might only provide temporary satisfaction and pleasure, but God, in His presence, I can experience fullness of joy and eternal pleasure. How do I get in God's presence? Because I want that. I'm done with chasing after also. I want that. How do I get that? Well, there's a problem because the eternal God in whose presence is found eternal joy is a holy God, and we're unholy people. And so when the temple existed, there was this curtain that surrounded the place in which the presence of God dwelt, and people couldn't go in there. You and I, we wouldn't have been able to go in there because it's set, we're separated from a holy God by our sin. We fall short in so many ways, and so we cannot enter the presence of the Lord. Well, that seems like a horrible, horrible problem, doesn't it? That here, here's this place in the presence of the Lord where you can find eternal pleasure and fullness of joy, but you can't go there because you're sinful and He's holy. Well, that's a problem. But it's a problem for which God had a solution. And that's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what drives us as a church. This is what drives me as a husband and as a dad. This truth that we who had no right to access the presence of God have been given that right through what Christ has done. Because it tells us in Scripture, this is what it says. It says this in Scripture. When Jesus was hanging on the cross in his death, it says this. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This curtain that separated sinful people from a holy God. When Jesus dies on the cross, he is making a way for all who would be found in him. And you're found in him when you repent of your sin. When you acknowledge before him that you have spent your life worshiping and serving other gods. That you have disobeyed the first commandment. First commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. And if we're honest, we have put lots of other gods before him. We have found our worth and our identity in so many other things. Maybe in some of the things listed here in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. But as Jesus died on the cross, he opened up a way. The curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. No human hand did it. God opened up a way 
for all who would trust in Jesus to be made right with God and to enter into the presence of God and to experience the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. That's the good news of the gospel. And all those who believe it are continually repenting of our sin, asking God again to come and help us, to help us to find joy there, to help us to rightly use all of the other good gifts that He gives us. Help me, God, because I want to misuse them in so many ways, but help me to use it in the way that You intended, to enjoy the good gifts that You give, but to enjoy You and Your presence more than any of the good gifts. That's what we do. And so as Christians, we are by no means stoic, frumpy, morality police. Right? We're people, hopefully, that smile a lot. That people look at us and they see that we live lives filled with joy. We don't just trudge through life just trying to make it through with a frown on our face, one eyebrow raised, thinking that the whole world's going to pot. In fact, one of the most famous of all historical Christian catechisms has as its first question this. What is the chief end of man? Have you heard this before? Maybe you learned it in the church that you grew up in. What is the chief end of man or what, what's the purpose of life? Okay, You know what it is? What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Isn't that good? That's what we're here for. We're here to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Praise God that He has given us that kind of hope. And so our problem is not that we're seeking pleasure. Our problem is often that we're not seeking pleasure enough. Because we're, 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 we're settling for pleasure in all the wrong places. I've used this quote before. I love it. C.S. Lewis. He lives with Jesus now, experiencing this more than we are. And here's what he said. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. We're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I love that. We're not people who run away from pleasure. So maybe if you're a Christian, maybe that advice that we saw at the beginning, do more of what makes you happy, is actually good advice to follow. Because if you're a Christian... What makes you happy is delighting in the Lord. That's a song that they were singing before. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. That, that if we continually would seek to delight ourselves in the Lord, that that is the aim of our life, that I want to glorify Him and delight myself in Him above everything else, that He would start to shape and give us the desires of our hearts. That we would start to desire other things so that increasingly we could actually say, whatever you decide to do, do whatever makes you happy. Because what would make us most happy is to see God glorified. If you're somebody who 
like I mentioned earlier, is just wrestling through this stuff, and maybe you've never come to a point where you've confessed your sin, where you've confessed to God, God, I'm done with chasing after all this stuff. I want to start something new, maybe even today, where I begin to, to believe in my heart that Jesus died for my sin, and that my life is going to have eternal joy and pleasure if and only if I am seeking you and submitting myself to you as Lord of my life. You want to talk to somebody about that? We'd love to talk about it. Mark and Linda Guy, he's an elder in our church, will be in the room right next door. If you want to just go in and just say, I want to talk more about that with you. Maybe you just want somebody to pray for you. You've got stuff going on in your life this week. It's like, hey, would you pray with me or for me about some stuff? They'd be happy to do that. So you can go right over there afterwards. But here's my hope for this church. My hope for this church is that we would know that eternal pleasure and complete joy are not found in self-indulgence. You're not going to find it in another bowl of ice cream, another drink, another relationship. But eternal pleasure and complete joy are found in God. That's the reality. And if we would spend the rest of our lives under the sun, rejoicing in the God who made us and the God alone who can save us, that would be a life well lived. And that will lead to an eternity in which we do the very same thing. Let's pray. Father, I am so thankful. You're a God who reveals yourself to us. You're a God who does not want us to run away from joy and happiness. You're a God who has made a way for us to experience it eternally, forevermore. Not in temporary ways that satisfy only for a bit. For God, it's a fight. For all of us who are in Christ already, it's a fight still. Because we still think, no matter how many times we've been told, no matter how hard we believe, we still think that a lot of other things are going to be what gives us happiness. And we're really disappointed when our expectations aren't met, when, when somebody else or something else doesn't quite make us as happy as we expected. We see how much we still idolize so many other things. But God, I pray that more and more you would help us to delight in the Lord, that we would find joy eternally in His presence, full and complete joy. Help us with that. We can't do it alone. We desperately need your help. I pray that you would give it to us in Jesus' name. Amen. The worship team wants to come up and we'll uh, sing a closing song together. It's a song that we've sung a few times now. And uh, such a good song to remind us. Uh, if, if the words are, are new to you and you haven't sung it, just, just read them as we're singing. Hear it. And if you've sung them before and you know it, sing loudly because it's so true. And so if you're able to, why don't you stand and we'll sing a closing song together.